This is the Teaching and Learning Podcast from the Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation at Lethbridge College in Southern Alberta, Canada. Located on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy, it is the intent of our college community to honour the land from a place of connection and provide an avenue for us all to come together in a holistic way to share stories and learn from each other. Tune in, hit play, and get inspired as guests share their stories and ideas on the dynamic, ever-changing landscape of education, teaching, and learning. I am Donna McLaughlin, a learning experience designer in the Centre for Teaching, Learning, and Innovation at Lethbridge College, and I am the host of the Teaching and Learning Podcast. Welcome to Episode 7 of the Learning Innovation Podcast. Today's guest is Shanda Weber, Shanda is the Manager of Indigenous Services at Lethbridge College, and we're going to be talking about some of the new things happening in her role and in her department and at the college in general. Really great to have you here with us today, Shanda. Oki, and hello, Donna. It is truly my honor to be with you here today, and I just can't wait to get this conversation started. So I know we have a lot of exciting things to talk about today, Shanda, and I'm really looking forward to uh, discussing them with you, but let's go back to the beginning. And can you tell us a little bit about your journey to Lethbridge College? Yeah, for sure. So first I was born and raised in the Crow's Nest Pass and had a wonderful childhood growing up. And I graduated from high school and then I went to the University of Lethbridge and started taking my studies within anthropology. And as I began that anthropology degree, I really started asking some questions about my self-identity. So going back, my dad's actually Ojibwe from the Broken Head Reserve out in Manitoba, and my mom's of settler origin. And unfortunately, my dad went through 60 scoop. So that's when he went from foster care to foster care growing up, and unfortunately had many episodes of physical, mental you know, all kinds of abuse. So I had no real connection with my culture and I had no real history of my dad's culture or upbringing either. And it was kind of a topic that we didn't like to discuss. So as I started taking anthro classes at the U, I really noticed that I was lacking my self-identity and there was a gap or there was a hole in my heart, right? I knew who I was. I had two loving parents. I had two loving grandparents who helped raise me as well, but I just didn't have that association with the culture. Um, so I started doing some research and um, my dad started doing some research as well. And we actually found out that he had four sisters. And unfortunately, they all went through the 60 scoop in foster care as well. Um, but coincidentally, they all ended up in Alberta. So we actually got to meet some of my aunts and my cousins and just really started to feel, you know, there was that lack of family. And as I started to take anthro classes, I realized that's what lots of our Indigenous students also are going through is that lack of self-identity, that lack of culture and just knowing and sense of belonging. So I really focused my anthro efforts onto focusing on the Indigenous community here in Lethbridge because that's all that I knew. So I started volunteering at the Sikokotoki Friendship Society, at the Native Women's Transition Home, at the shelter. And just starting to really embrace what the Blackfoot community had to offer the larger city of Lethbridge and the Southern Alberta community. And in essence, they really helped me develop who I was an, as an individual and what I was lacking from that lack of culture um, growing up. 
So it sounds like your experience was about forming some connections, both with your family as well as with the Blackfoot community. Yeah, most definitely. Um, Really about anthropology, right? It's the study of human beings and culture. And with that, it got me really interested and intrigued because I didn't know my Ojibwe culture of how could I learn the Blackfoot culture and how could I be part of the community and see, you know, where are some connections? Where do I start? And I think that's where lots of our students is they don't even know where to begin if there's that lack of identity. So from working at the Friendship Center, I started to talk to the elders. I started to learn about the culture. I started to learn about ceremonies. And really what I realized is the Mississippi values, they're so important and so grained in every day-to-day life. So the values of trust, compassion, respect, understanding. And even though I didn't grow up with my own Ojibwe values, um, I learned how with the, I, sorry, I learned the universal values, you know, of the same thing of trust, respect, and understanding, and really seeing those as being universal values. I saw, you know what, there isn't that much of a disconnect between indigenous and non-indigenous. Yes. You know, social media and our history has put us that divide up between us, but really, if we take that step back, we're all one human beings. And that really kind of led the way of my journey of being proud of who I was as an Indigenous woman, Um, being proud of starting my journey and wanting to work in Indigenous relations. So as I volunteered at the Friendship Centre, I remember one August summer, there was an ad in the paper to become the Indigenous Liaison Officer at Lethbridge College. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's my calling, right? They're looking for someone to go out to that community to tell them that post-secondary education is possible. And, you know, what are the different pathways that these um, students, Indigenous or non-Indigenous students alike, could explore and see what's out for them in the future. So I applied and thankfully got the position. And that's what landed me at Lethbridge College 15 years ago. That's that's uh, really interesting how you were able to form those connections and then it and then it led you to the start of this career. So since you've been at Lethbridge College now, um, what changes have have happened in your role and and with Indigenous services? Yeah, no, for sure. So I'll start with my role specifically, and then we'll talk about Indigenous services more generally. So as I started as the Indigenous Liaison Officer, I was really focused on building those connections with the community. So going out to the reserves, going out to the high schools, and just seeing, you know, what were the concepts or ideas that students had about post-secondary? And many of the students at that time were first-generational students, so not knowing what college was like, and lots were really intimidated. And even today, um, lots of our non-Indigenous counterparts don't understand the traumatic effects that residential schools had. So um, reflecting back on my dad's own personal experience of 60 Scoop, right, looking at that cold institution, looking where lots of trauma taking place. So there's lots of um, negative views sometimes from the communities of what's the institution going to do for our children. So I was really focusing on making that positive relationship of building that foundation of trust. So going out to the communities and, you know, you, sometimes you have a nine to five job and it's like, okay, you have a meeting, it's an hour long, you're in, you're out, you do what you need to do. But I said, no, if we're going to be doing this in the right way and in the good way that I've learned from our elders, 
is you take the time to have those conversations. You take the time to build that trust. So sometimes when I go out into the community, you know, I would be having two to three hour conversations with these students. And sometimes the first hour, they would be very quiet and maybe divert their eyes and not talk to me. But as I added humor and as I talked and said, you know, I just lived down the way in the Crowsness Pass and here we are today in Brockett, you know, I played in that gym, you make that connection. And as soon as you make that connection, it opens up and say, hey, you know, we're more like than we are different. And let me show you the way to help whatever success means to you. So honestly, that was the opening to my work at Lethbridge College and working with Indigenous community. And I think that really built the foundation of how now I have transformed 15 years later into being the manager of Indigenous services, is it still goes to those main Nisitipi values, those main values of relationship building, of building trust. And then once you listen to those students, how to help them along their transition of attaining a post-secondary education. So that, that foundation of that connection and, and having that relationship building is so essential to everything you've done. Exactly. And then the college was so amazing that from my work as the Indigenous Liaison Officer, two years later, they opened up a pilot possibility and a new role for myself as the Indigenous Academic Advisor. So that just added the next step along the journey. So not only was I now in the communities, but now I receive that extra role and responsibility that I could educate them on what are the academic requirements? How do they get into a Lethbridge College program or any post-secondary program? And how can, we be, how can they be successful? So then really doing that building block. So they saw me in the community. Now, as they walk through those doors of the college for the first time, they're not as intimidated because they have a friendly face. They have a friendly voice on the other side of the phone that they can talk to. And then... I'm with them on that journey while they're at Lethbridge College to refer them to the Learning Cafe, which is our tutoring support services, to refer them to our counseling services if they're needing to discuss some personal issues, or ultimately write a reference letter for them when they're transitioning to another institution or maybe finding a job. So it's really that holistic circle that I, uh, I was able to do within that current academic advising role, which I just was found so, so important, right? And at the end of the day, if you could see that smile on that student's face and that you made a difference and that they knew, wow, college is in my grasp, like that just, that just made my day. That was the essence of my job. And I think coming full circle, that's still what I love as my, in my permanent role now as the manager of Indigenous services, because it was so foundational and I moved through that whole path with the students. Now I can help our leadership. I can help our partners and I can help our internal community understand how can we all work towards helping our Indigenous students be successful at Lethbridge College? Yeah, because it, there's more than one element to it. You've built those relationships in the community, but on the other side of that, um, you've made a lot of changes within the college, you know, both in the growth in your role and, and in your influence within the college. That's so true, right? Um, we always say we're a small but mighty team in Indigenous services. And I have to um, thank one of our past employees, Pam Blood, um, who actually said that to our group before she moved on to a new role back into the community. But it is true, you know, we're small, but we're mighty. But I think we're small because we're mighty is because 
we take the time to have those conversations with all people at all levels throughout the institution. We take time to listen to them, but also to teach them as well if they're willing to learn. And I think that's really coming full circle as now we're implementing the Nesitabi strategy for Lethbridge College. Um, and we've entitled it coming together in a collective way because everyone has a role to play in infusing indigenous content and indigenous knowledge within Lethbridge College. Shanda, you've mentioned the Nisitipi strategy. I'm still, I'm still, uh, I'm still struggling with my pronunciation. <laughs> You're doing good. You're getting close, and I think that's the part of some. Sometimes our non-Indigenous learners or our non-Indigenous allies um, struggle with is if I can't pronounce the word right, should I say it at all, right? Or what should I do with that? And it's a learning process. So I think if we can laugh together and we can say, no, you're almost there for Nisitipi, you know, you're doing the right thing. And for you to even trying is showing respect for the culture and respect for wanting to learn more. So I really appreciate um, you using the correct language when we're talking about the strategy today. Well, well, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to keep working on it. So where did the what's the background behind the Nisitipi strategy? Where did it come from? And that was perfect this time, just to let you know. Um, so before we get into the Nisitipi strategy, so about five, six years ago, um, we were really focusing on developing our circle of services within Indigenous services. And at that time, student services on a whole. So really providing programming and initiatives for Indigenous students and supports. So we focused on that circle of services, which was holistic in nature. So it started with that recruitment role that I was in, you know, 10 plus years ago. And then from there, it goes to career and academic advising. And then we really wanted to focus on building that sense of belonging at Lethbridge College. So we initiated Indigenous Student Welcome. We developed programming such as our cultural support program, which is our elders program, and showing the importance of having elders and grandparents on campus to have those day-to-day -day conversations with our students. We developed Indigenous um, calendar of events where we both had celebrations as well as awareness opportunities. So for example, we had Indigenous celebration days, which we now call Stonepipe Days, where we really celebrate the history, the culture, and that our First Nations, Métis and Inuit students and communities are alive and thriving and resilient. And what does that mean in today's world? And then we also bring awareness on some other topics such as Orange Shirt Day and talking about residential schools or Sisters in Spirit where we're talking about missing and murdered Indigenous women because these are um, active issues that are still happening today in Canada and we really want to bring awareness to that. So Indigenous services is not only supporting our Indigenous students, but it was helping to increase the cultural competency of our non-Indigenous students as well. Um, but we were just at the breaking point in that, right? So we wanted to move that more um, within our Nisitibi strategy. So the operational plan actually ended um, last year in 2019, or I guess two years ago now, since we're in the new year. Um, but we really wanted to take the time then to move to an institutional strategy. And I want to thank our leadership because they gave us the go ahead and said, yes, it is needed. We now can move from an operational plan to an institutional strategy where everyone has a role to play. And that's why we entitled it coming together in a collective way, like I mentioned before, because that's what we mean. Every person, every employee, every student, every staff member, faculty member, and community member has that role. 
So what we realized, and I need to give kudos and mention to my co-lead for the strategy, Marcia Blackwater, who's also faculty and the indigenous coordinator in our Center for Applied Arts and Science, is that she said we had a great foundation for our operational plan, but what we were missing were the conversations. So how could we know where we were going until we knew where we were? So we really wanted to focus on engagement as we started the strategy. So we actually took, you know, two, three months to having sessions with our internal staff to say, where are we as Lethbridge College on a whole? What is our cultural competency? What does residing on Blackfoot territory mean to us? What are our gaps, right? What don't we know? And where do we want to go from here? So then we actually had a framework that we could work on when then we went into engage with our community members. And I really need to focus on the word engagement because we don't like to use the word consultation. When you're working and saying consultation, you're trying to get something from somebody. And that was not the case for the strategy. Engagement it's a two-person team where there's reciprocity involved and really where we're focusing on building that relationship and bringing unity between our um, Indigenous partners in Lethbridge College. So then we focused on talking with them. I think that's an amazing distinction and I, and I really like that you have pointed that out because that really made a difference to where you went with the strategy. Most definitely, right? It's that two-way conversation. And it's also the important piece that we explain that the strategy is a living document. It's going to change and transform and just how life changes and transforms depending on the conversations that you have with each other or the priorities that change and transform in the communities that you're working with. So we really wanted to have that fluidity of the document um, just to be like the buffalo out on the plane, as our elder Peter Weasel Moccasin would say, right? So um, it was just an amazing process. And yes, it took a bit of time, but the time was worth it, right? And I think that's what happens sometimes in the westernized world is we get set so much on deadlines that we forget what the purpose of the actual strategy is about. And our actual strategy is about building those relationships and continuing those conversation for years to come. Can you talk now about after the engagement sessions, you obviously probably had a lot of information that you gathered. What did it look like to go from that to writing the strategy? Yeah. So at first it was overwhelming, right? Um, Marcy and I as co-leads, we have like 1800, you know, qualitative data pieces from our internal and external engagements. And I think it was very important to have that qualitative data, right? When you're talking about quantitative, qualitative, the numbers are exceptional, but it's the actual words that mean so much more. So it was intimidating at first to see pages and pages of these responses or what we've collected in those conversations when we had those stakeholder engagement sessions. But then it was just like, yes, we did it right because all of a sudden we started to see themes developing and we saw the same answers or um, similar answers to say, yes, we were in the right direction. And I think it was very humbling as well when lots of our internal um, engagement partners came, they said, you know what, Lethbridge College, you're doing this the right way. You're on the right track and just reinforcing what we were doing, right? So, and the key themes that came out of it was, you know, relationship building, reciprocity, all those values um, that I was talking about before. So 
it really builds it back to that foundation. So yeah, um, overwhelming at first, but just so humbling and satisfying, I guess, in the same sense that yes, we're on the right direction and we're doing this in a right way. Yeah. And getting that confirmation back that, that, that was the case. Um, it sounds like it's kind of going full circle in a way too, to when you were going to university and what you were learning at that time. Yeah, exactly. Full circle. So just to mention on that topic of when I was in university, I did do an honors thesis and I entitled it, what is Indian anyways? Um, because we've been labeled so many things in the past, you know, we go from Indian to Aboriginal and now to indigenous and what does that mean? Right. That's a government definition. So when we're working with our first nations and working with our Métis and, and Inuit, you know, communities and settlements, we need to make sure that we're not putting them in this box per se, right. To understanding that each individual community has their different culture and their beliefs and their priorities. So making sure that we're looking at these individual outcomes as well. Um, So with that honors thesis, I also focused on the racism and discrimination that happened in the city of Lethbridge and that kind of us versus them dichotomy, right? Why is there so much of that divide? And I really wanted to nip that in the butt for a better term, right? When we were moving forward with the strategy to say, you know, unity is key. And if we're focusing on those Mississippi values, or if we're focusing on those universal human values, then if we can all come together and in that circle, like you mentioned, Donna, then we can move forward in a good way as well. So I'm very lucky. I have had a chance to have an early peek at the strategy and it's a huge comprehensive document. It touches on all aspects of the college. So can you talk a little bit about maybe the changes that that the strategy will bring to the college? Yeah, for sure. As we mentioned before, the Nisitipi, see, there I go even, the Nisitipi operational plan was really about focusing on the circle of services. However, with this now being the institutional strategy, it just brings a plethora of opportunities for us to really infuse Indigenous knowledge into all those five themes. So right from research and innovation to the curriculum and pedagogy, but then also to really focus on the partnerships that we have with the community. And I think what I'm really wanting to focus on with our Nisitibi strategy is that it's not a document that you read once and you put up on the shelf, that these are actionable outcomes and that we are going to be having, you know, subcommittees and um, individuals as well as groups making sure that we're actually moving forth these outcomes and that we're meeting these outcomes on an annual basis as well, right? So, you know, each year, what have we accomplished for infusing cultural incompetency, right? How have we built those partnerships? What is the community needing from us and what are we needing from the community so we can grow together as a whole as well? And that's what makes it part of that continuing living document, the conversation going both ways as it moves forward. Correct. Right. And it's really about, you know, what are, what are the common issues and priorities that are happening in the community and how can we as a post-secondary institution and our leaders advocate that with the government as well? So how can we advocate priorities that are priorities for our both, right? Um, And priorities for our, our incoming students and for future generations to come so that we can live together in unity as well. I like how you mentioned um, 
the term opportunities in terms of the Nisitipi strategy, like that, you know, people can see that as opportunities at all levels for the college. And it is really much about opportunities at, at all levels, right? So that's really where I want to end and focus on is that coming together in a collective way, right? Opportunities of what can you do as an individual, so really looking at your own individual biases that you may have just because of your upbringing or of the social media that you are watching, right? And how can you change that? Looking at our, you know, um, own priorities as a department and saying, are we really being inclusive? And how can we incorporate more Indigenous ways of being? Looking at our, you know, our vision as an institution as well and seeing how can we make that Indigenous education a priority? And then larger scale and looking at that um, as a community on our day-to-day -day interactions in advocacy and in empowering others. Yeah, and it comes down to each of our individual roles. Exactly. And like I mentioned before, right, small things can make a big difference if we all do that together. And if we take each day with having those values at the, the back of our mind. So um, I'm going to say, as Peter Weasel Moccasin would say, is starting each day in a good way and living in the moment, right? So what is my heart telling me what to do? So sometimes leading with more with my heart than leading with my mind. Shanna, when is the actual release of the Nisitipi strategy? Our official launch of the strategy is Thursday, March 18th from 11 a.m. to noon. And it will be a live stream that anyone can join us at leftbridgecollege.ca slash coming together. Okay. And that is mountain standard time. And so uh, what sorts of things will be happening at the release? Yeah, honestly, I see it as a special day in college's history where we will be launching the Mississippi strategy. We'll start with an opening prayer. We'll then have some speaking notes from our Leftbridge College leadership. We actually have an amazing film that we will debut that day. And then we will have an honor song to end and a launch of our Nisitipi strategy web pages, where you can learn more about the five themes as well as all the actions and recommendations. That sounds amazing. I'm going to make sure that I've got that in my calendar because I definitely want to be watching. Yes, the more the merrier. So please, if you can attend, that would be great. We'll also have the recording afterwards, but it's just going to be a momentous occasion. And we're just so excited for this to officially launch. So thanks for bringing that up. A wonderful celebration. One of the areas that I'm particularly interested in the Mississippi strategy is the area of curriculum, because that's, you know, that's where I work in curriculum. Can you talk about that aspect of the strategy? Yeah, most definitely. So curriculum and pedagogy, like I explained before, is one of our um, five main themes. And I think that's a really area that we're wanting to focus on and expand in the coming years, just because curriculum um, is what our students are focusing on. They're coming to Leftbridge College for an education, and the majority of the time they are in those classrooms. So it's so important that we infuse Indigenous knowledge and content and language and culture into the classroom. However, it can be intimidating to our instructors to hear that on a general sense, right? Um, so on that point, I want to acknowledge and explain that it's not an addition. It's not another, right? It's actually something that can complement our already developed curriculum. 
And it's not just an add-on, it's an important part to make it whole. So for example, if we have an environmental sciences course and they're learning about the land, how important is it to acknowledge on what territory do we reside and how important is it to look at those traditional uses of the land and moving forward, right? Like that's one piece of it. However, I also want people to understand it's not just for our Indigenous students, it's for our non-Indigenous students as well. There's a very big piece of that Indigenous cultural competency. Lethbridge College is known for having amazing graduates and our graduates get, you know, taken up from our um, potential employers right away. And with that, we want to make sure that we're preparing them to work with whichever community or field that they're in. So for example, if it's in nursing, it is our duty and our commitment as an institution to make sure that we're providing that cultural competency. So our nursing students understand when um, a family of 10 to 15 people show up for a First Nations patient who may be ill and they're wanting to perform a smudge or maybe they're wanting to have a prayer that there is actually a smudge room here at, you know, at the Leftbridge Hospital, right? So how can we incorporate that? Um, also within the police force, for example, when we're um, getting our cadets or our police um, our students to be preparing to work within the community, it's how do they engage with those community members in a proper and respectful way, right? How are we learning to work together to pr protect that community? And how do we work together to engage and to learn the history too, right? So I actually was just doing the Kairos Blanket exercise with the cadet program the other day. And it was so important for them to understand the history. And many of them, you know, they're all 20 plus years old, ranging in different ages, but they're saying they didn't have any of that education in the K to 12 system when they're growing up. So it's so important for them to know that history because then that history actually implemented trauma on our peoples. And then that trauma had a ripple effect of leading to addictions, to leading to homelessness. So, and then leading to the population that those police officers are actually going to have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And I don't even like to say the word deal, right? It's that might be their perception at first, but instead of how do I deal with that problem, going back to, you know, the concept of residential when schools, when they said it was an Indian problem and they wanted to kill the Indian inside the child to, you know what, this person's hurting on the streets, right? But I hope there's still glimmer of hope that there's some spirit inside them. So instead of, you know, just putting down the book, maybe let's engage and have a conversation and help not only them, but the larger community as well, right? So there's so many different aspects um, that comes into that curriculum and pedagogy that I think is so important. And that Indigenous pedagogy, it, it is for the benefit of all students, Indigenous, non-Indigenous, it makes the education richer. Oh, so richer, right? And I think that's an important part. Sometimes it's overwhelming for our faculty because they don't know where to start. And that's where we as Indigenous services and with our network within our communities can say, we can help you with that, right? Here's a list of resources that we approve that we should be utilizing in the classroom, right? Um, that are local authors. Here are actual case studies that are familiar with our community and territory. So then um, our graduates will know, you know, those interactions that need to take place. 
but also part of that curriculum is different styles of teaching as well. So um, looking back at, at our traditional ways, learning from place, the importance of having an oral tradition of telling, of telling stories, that's so important. And those are different learning aspects that students might you know, benefit from as well. We've done learning from place for a few professional development opportunities for our staff, and it's just been so enriching. And you hear the positive comments, right? That in a westernized world, we're just so fast paced that we forget to kind of, we would say to take the time to smell the roses. But then, in, you know, in the learning from place, it would be, you know, taking the time to learn those traditional plants, taking the time to learn those nappy stories that provide so much culture and so much knowledge and so much lessons for not only our youth, but for our adults just to live together in harmony as well. I would really love to have the opportunity when the pandemic is over to participate in one of the learning from play sessions. They sound amazing. They are amazing, right? And I think that's what we're trying to do at Lethbridge College as well as make as many opportunities both for our, not only our staff, but for our students. So that actually falls in line with our necessity strategy is that part of it is indigenization of campus. So we have some amazing elements. We have the Blackfoot Confederacy flag flying permanently on campus. We have our Okotokia coin on display at the entrance of the college to really show and reflect our pride of residing on traditional territory. But we're, we're hoping to implement this year is a traditional plants tour. So working with our elders, working with William Singer, who is known as a, a plant specialist with traditional plants from the Blood Reserve and from KIPA, which is the Kainai Ecosystem Protection Association, where we can actually develop a program to say, when you're walking through the coolies, which is our background, which is Blackfoot territory, this was the traditional uses. This is what it can be used for today. And this is the creation stories also um, that are part of the Blackfoot territory and just see how we can, you know, learn and evolve from it. Now, I heard you use the word indigenization, and I know that that word is a little bit, um, it's talked about in terms of indigenizing the curriculum, and, but it's a little bit controversial. Um, can you talk more about that term? Yes, for sure. So of course, it's one of those terms, just like um, Indian or Aboriginal or Indigenous, right? It's a Westernized term to understand the concept of the topic we're trying to talk about. So Indigenization, we actually started using that as we were developing the strategy. And at one time, we were going to call it the Leftbridge College Indigenization Plan. However, when we started to have those conversations with our community members, um, they were asking, what does, he, what does that even mean? You keep using words for our people, but we don't even understand the meaning. Do you understand the meaning, right? So it's coming up with these terms. And again, it's placing it on our peoples instead of asking them, what is the proper terminology that we should use? So then we said, this is perfect. This is what we wanted to hear. We knew it wasn't sitting right in our hearts. So what should we use? And then talking to our community, it says, well, we're Nisitsipi. And when we say Nisitsipi, um, that's the Blackfoot name for real peoples. So yes, it's considerate of the Blackfoot community that we live in, but on a larger scale, it's all peoples as well, right? So it was just like, yep, that's exactly what we're using, right? It's paying um, tribute and acknowledgement of the territory that we're residing on, but also using the language that our community members are wanting to use. And that's such an important 
um, part of moving forward together in a good way. On that note, if an instructor is, you know, considering um, adding Indigenous pedagogy to their course, how how might they approach that, or or what term would they use if not Indigenization? We, we don't use it on a larger scale, and you know. Sometimes we use that in our language too, just because we're used to using that. I think more I like the term of infusing Indigenous content into the curriculum, because when you're infusing that content, you're bringing it together. So it's not that us versus them. It's not Indigenization coming into the Westernized world. It's where can we find that piece together of infusing in harmony? Yeah, that really makes sense because it's not, um, yeah, it, it changes the dynamic of the other of the other, right? And it's not that cold black and white word that's just so rigid. Um, to us, we use indigenized, you know, indigenization of campus. And I think that feels okay to me because it's like the physical structure of the campus. But then when we're actually adding the story and we're understanding everything involved, that it's not the indigenization, you know, it's the coming together of knowledge. It's, it's the acknowledgement of you know, we're in this together. How can we learn from each other? Why are we doing this? What's important for it? Yeah. I wonder if that difference too is there you're talking about people. Whereas before you're talking about the campus, the physical structure. Yeah. And I, and I, and that brings up a good point too, right? So then that brings me back to my university days and learning from Dr. Leroy Littlebear too. And he talks about constant flux and how everything's related but it's also important to acknowledge that we as Indigenous people also, you know, believe that everything has a spirit as well. So, you know, like the land and the animals and the water, right? There's always a purpose for it. So, yeah, just understanding that balance and that struggle too. So I get it as the, the concrete, you know, objects of the actual campus itself. But yeah, us too, me included, need to be careful of how we use that wording as well, right? Because we want to make sure we're respecting all things. Shanda, I really appreciate you talking and defining indigenization because it's, you know, it's a word that I've seen in different contexts and, you know, there is some confusion around it. So I really appreciate your clarification with that. Um, this podcast is called the Innovation Learning Innovation Podcast. And so I'm wondering if you can talk about innovation from an Indigenous perspective. You know, at first when I hear innovation, I kind of have to stop and pause and to even think what that means, right? Because I once again, I think that's a Westernized concept. But when I look back at it, I think, you know, and I have to just um, make a note as well. I'm speaking only from my experience, right? Um, from what I've learned from the Blackfoot elders who've been graciously to provide me with teachings and from the community members, right? So not speaking on an entirety of Indigenous people on a whole, but um, just from my perspective. But when I think of innovation, I think our people and the Blackfoot community that um, we um, reside on is so innovative and so resilient because when you look back at the history, um, they were innovative from the beginning. So when Peter, as one of our elders is explaining, you know, that the teepee in the lodge um, was their home and that they moved in search of the Buffalo and traveled along the plains, they were innovative. They never stayed from place to place and it was in search of food. And 
they use the buffalo as the source of everything. And I have to make note that from Peter's teachings that the Blackfoot people never got rid of any form of that buffalo, right? They used every single piece of that buffalo for a reason. And they honored that animal for the use that they would, if it was a utensil, if it was, you know, the buffalo robe that they would use for either um, ceremonial purposes or for actually just a jacket to keep warm in, in the winter months, right? Um, very innovative on what they use and what they found just in the natural environment to survive. And then we have to look at the past colonial history of Canada as well, and how our people have been innovative and resilient, right? Through residential schools, it, um, as I mentioned before, it was the government's um, mandate to kill the Indian and the child and to try to get rid of that culture. Um, they prohibited, you know, powwows, the potlatch, so many different cultural perspectives, but our people persevered, right? Even though their children were taken away from them, eventually we got our children back. And unfortunately, some didn't survive, but our culture survived. So I think that culture, there's so much resiliency and so much innovation of how we move forward to today and how today we're alive and we're strong and we're moving forward, right? So that's innovation and resiliency in itself. So we had the buffalo at one time, what was for the, you know, the main source of survival. But now that we no longer have the buffalo, education is the new buffalo. And it's how our people are being innovative and resilient of attaining a post-secondary education and then bringing that knowledge back into the community for economic sustainability, for land sustainability. Um, so I just think it's a, a beautiful story, even though there's lots of hardships, there's so much innovation. And I did want to add, I know I'm a long wind speaker, but with the Buffalo, we say that it's no longer here. I'm just so humbly and just so ecstatic to also mention that just last week, the blood tribe actually got their first herd of Buffalo or a knee back into the community. So we're revitalizing, we're being innovative, looking how we can go back to our traditional ways to survive in today's world. That is really exciting. I didn't know that. I didn't realize that they um, had gotten Buffalo back there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I was actually talking to William, who I mentioned earlier, who um, is a specialist or a knowledge keeper on traditional plants. And he was saying, yes, now I get to help grow these traditional plants and grasses to help feed the Buffalo. How can we bring them back? How can we make sure that they, they survive and they're resilient? So it's just a beautiful story of them coming back. And they're such a beautiful and powerful animal. Um, that I think it's going to bring more life and innovation and empowerment to our community as well. Yeah. And that connection back to the history. I really love how you said education is the new Buffalo and the Nisitipi strategy is so innovative and, mm -hmm. and that builds on that innovation. And I think we're so innovative because as I mentioned before, it's a living document, right? So we're going back and forth. We're having those continuous dialogues. We're seeing, okay, how can we move forward together? All right, Shanda, it's been really wonderful talking to you today. Uh, I've really learned a lot and um, I'm so excited for the release of the Nisitipi strategy coming out. Um, but before we wrap up today, we always ask for some kind of recommendation or something that a project that you know you've loved learning about or working on recently so um what would you like to talk about yeah sure 
Um, maybe I'll look at what we've done. I've done recently is with COVID, we haven't been able to do much, right? So it's also made myself reflect on what I want to focus on and what I'm passionate about. And I actually have to give kudos to one of my past students now who I call my friend, Tiffany Weaselhead. Um, she's been an advocate for homelessness um, within her community. Her father was actually homeless and passed away a few years ago. Um, and she's very open about talking about that, but she's open also about giving back to the community and that it doesn't take lots to give back to the community. So this year I actually joined the coldest night of the year um, with her and it's a fundraiser just to help hurt hunger and homelessness within our community, not only in Lethbridge, but within the reserve as well. So um, it's been an amazing journey. Not only have we collected monetary donations, but also, you know, if somebody just has a couple of toques laying around, if you have a couple cans of soup that you're not using or that you can give up, a little goes a long way. So I just want to thank the amazing, you know, Leftbridge College community. I actually did a call out in one of our internal newsletters um, a couple weeks ago, and just the support that we got was amazing. So I kind of want to leave um, people with today is that you know, you don't have to look for big things to make a difference within the community. And I really think that's what the Nisitibi strategy coming together in a collective way is about. If we all do our part and we all work on our individual story of what values are true to our heart, how do we want to make a difference in the community? We can make such a larger impact if we work together. Thank you very much for that message. And um, that's an excellent message to finish on and take forward, you know, for each of us. Thank you. For more information on this episode's guest or on CTLI, see the episode notes or visit learninginnovation.ca. Thank you to CTLI for sponsoring this podcast. And thanks to Ryan Robinson, Mike Smith, Jude Bielik, Joel Godfrey, and all of the others who have contributed to making this possible. Most of all, Thank you for listening. Talk to you again soon on Learning Innovation, the Teaching and Learning Podcast. Mm -hmm.